So this conversation is going to feature Jill Carter. Jill is a clinical nurse consultant and she leads the clinical community team. So the nurses that go out and home visit, um, Jill is, is their clinical oh, okay. lead. Yeah. She's been doing palliative care for a very long time. Oh. Lots of experience, lots of knowledge. Yeah, it's a great, like that's a really interesting role, isn't it? Like mm. to be able to be a leader of, um, of that group of important yeah. people, like that's just... So it'll be interesting to hear what she's got to say. Yeah, Fantastic. and she'll bring a bit of an English perspective to it, perhaps. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Fantastic, thanks. So my name's Jill Carter. I am the clinical nurse consultant for Bowen Health's um, Community Palliative Care Service. I'm responsible for the day-to-day -day running, smooth running, hopefully, of our community palliative care service. So um, helping the nurses to work out workload, um, visit for, the, for them to go visiting patients. Um, I triage all the new referrals to the service. Um, and based on needs, triage patients in, in order, basically, so that the sickest patients and the people most in need get seen first. How would you define palliative care? What is palliative care? Um, for me, palliative care, unlike a lot of people's opinion, it's not about dying, it's about living until you're dying. And so if we can make a difference for people at home who have a life-limiting illness, then that's exactly what we're here to do. So just that community palliative care, the difference that makes to people in their home versus the in-the-hospital palliative care. Can you give us some thoughts about that? Of course. Um, I've had the privilege of working within a hospital environment, within a hospice environment and also in the community. And I think so many People are very afraid of palliative care, but when we approach them in terms of um, visiting visiting them at home in their own space, um, that can be really reassuring um, that we're there to um, help them uh, live their life and to live through their choices, sometimes even if they're bad choices, um, but we support them no matter what. It makes a difference in the home, doesn't it? That sense of being comfortable in their own in their own home is important. It is, and I think um, some people don't realise that that is an option until we pick up the phone and say we've had a referral for you to support you at home. I mean, it's very different for each person. It's very individual. Some people um, don't want very much support or very many visits. Just to know that we're there is enough. Other people really soak up our support and use the full service that we have to offer. So it's 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 tailor made. It's like making a suit. We hopefully uh, make a suit to fit that person by using the components of our service and our team. So just catching just catching what you said about some people don't realise it's an option. Mm. I mean, that was my experience. Mm. How do we get past that? I think the most common problem is that people see palliative care as all about terminal care and that's where it's completely wrong. 
Yes, terminal care is a little bit about what we do, a small percentage, but the large proportion of it is about supporting and helping people live their lives and quality of life, which is a term that's bandied around all the time. But what does that actually mean? It means really different things for different people. So unless we meet them when they're well and understand who they are and what's meaningful for them in their lives, then we're never going to be able to... Um, to meet their needs so when I when I speak to people on the phone and they say I don't need you now I'm really well and I said but that's a good time for us to meet you because then we get to know who you really are and then when you need us the most we know who you are we know what you want so maybe the community need to learn that too um, because um Fear is a very contagious thing, isn't it? And if people are fearful of palliative care and what that word means, then that just exacerbates that whole problem. Whereas if they thought palliative care, that means somebody's actually going to listen to me and listen to who I am and help me be who I am and live my life as I want to lead it, however that may be, um, surely that's the message that we need to promote. Why do you why do you work in this field? Like how how did you get into this? What drew you to it? So mine goes back a very long time. When I was a student nurse, one of my first placements was on a medical ward in the UK, and it was in the winter time. And in thirteen weeks, we had twenty two deaths on our ward. And out of all of those, I thought, oh my goodness, um, I saw it done really badly. I saw it done averagely and I saw it done well, so a whole mixture. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to try to make everybody's experience of that as good as it could possibly be for that person? And I think that's where it started. I then did an oncology course. I worked in cancer care for a long time um, and very rapidly um, moved to palliative care uh, in the community. Have you personally found it, um, particularly early on when you got into this field? I mean, how did you, um, how did you deal with the the sort of emotional impact of caring for people in in those situations? When I think back to those days, I was in my early twenties, and so you're on the treadmill of um, you know changing the whole world. Um, and at that time, I was working in a service which did 24-hour, seven days a week on call. And I was part of that, that on-call service. I was going out at 2 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning and then still doing a day's work. So it had a massive emotional um, drain, I guess, um, because you can't, you can't sustain that. And it was a small, small um, service for a large number of patients, a small number of nurses, I should say, for a large number of patients. So, um, yeah, it was it was really hard. Can you tell me a story about that? I mean, is there a particular story that you remember, like, from that period that, that has stuck with you? I do. I remember going to visit a man um, on the St George's River who had a brain tumour. He and his wife lived um, right on the edge of the river, and the only way to his house was in a tin boat. One of the family members would come and... On, in, a, in a boat to meet you at the car um, so you could drive as far as you could drive and then you had to jump out of your car and jump in the tinny to go down to his house and I remember sitting in this boat one day thinking how on earth are we going to manage this how on earth are we going to get him out if he, I mean, he was really elderly and there's no way they were going to be able to manage end-of-life care at home um, on the little house down the river 
Um, we did one day, one night, he had to be um, taken into the hospice in the tin boat. And I'll never forget that because I was a little English girl, you know, <laughs> been in the country for about a year. And here I was on a tinny going down the St. George's River. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> But um, we got him into the hospice and he died a few days later. So he stayed at home for as long as possible in his little cottage on the river. Mm. Um, yeah. Given that the, the theme around palliative care week is what matters most, what's your sense around that? What matters most, mm. do you think? I guess my instinct is to say the patient is the, the pivotal person here and the layers around them. And we all know that um, when you have somebody that's ill, um, the ripple effect is massive. Um, I guess we start with the, with the patient and then um, if, if we have time and um, we're given that privilege to be able to help the people in the, in the other layers around them, then obviously we do. And I think that's where the rest of the service all comes together. I guess from a nursing perspective, my primary um, concern is the patient and you know, making sure that they've got everything they need, that we know what they want and where they want it and who they want around them and put in enough supports to go round. And that's often the, the challenge in this day and age. You know, if you were talking to people to say, like, you know, these are some ways to think about this well in advance of having having any need for a service, what are the kind of things that people you would encourage people to think about? Well, think about and talk about yeah. because you need to share it with your nearest and dearest, don't you? Um, so that your your opinions and your views and your expectations of everyone are um, expressed. And if you can, put it down on paper. So so, so be really specific about this then. Tell, us, tell, me, tell me the nuts and bolts of the things that you would encourage people to, to, to talk about. I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody that's unwell either. I think the best time to, to think about what you'd really like is when you are well, mm. um, because you're probably in a better better headspace to be able to um, say what you would like in a hypothetical situation. So yes, for people that want to and can do, to do an advanced care plan or at least talk to family so that someone knows, make that person, um, you know, appoint your medical decision maker, I think is the bare minimum. Um, and I guess that's what the community need to know as well, that you don't have to be sick to do this. Um, it's interesting yeah. because it, it's uh, once somebody gets sick, the pressure's on mm -hmm. in, in, in the sense of like stuff just, the pressure just piles yeah. on, right? Yeah. And be, taking making decisions either for the, the person who's ill or for any of the loved ones in the families, everything becomes more fraught. And the actual nuts and bolts of what, it's helpful for people to think about in advance is, is good to know. Yeah, you know. Even just so you're talking about medical care, for instance? Well, there are various levels. There's medical care, but there's also what's important to you as a person. Um, so, for example, if it's important, if you're claustrophobic and you hate hospitals, then obviously to, to put down that you don't want to be in a hospital on the sixth floor or seventh floor, not being able to get out to fresh air is really important. And when I worked in the hospital, that's what I saw, people who really just needed to be out of that environment. Um, so um, it's really important that you share those personal values and uh, with your family or whoever your decision makers are. I guess that's a, a, alongside medical care, 
that's that's one element to it, isn't it? And I think that's more tricky because you don't know what you're going to need or want or accept until you're in that situation. And it's absolutely fine for people to change their minds. I'm, I'm a great believer in you do whatever you think you need to do to be able to um, rest peacefully. And if I mean, if pe we see people that want more and more treatment all the time. Um, but if that's what they need to do to be comfortable with where they're at, then I think we have to we have to accept that too. We're, we're always going to have patients that want to try anything um, mm. to stay alive at whatever cost. Mm. We've got to have a bit of an understanding for how that might feel for them. There's a lot of people here that, that make up a great team that are able to support and give a great response to people that need to use this service. One of the... the the senses that I get is that, that that team of people all come with a common set of values or common belief even around what's important to the individual and to their, their family. Mm. What's your feeling about that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think we all come with a, another word that springs to mind is a, a passion for supporting people in whatever decision they're making and whichever journey they're sort of following it might be it might be a really difficult um, path that they've chosen for one reason or another but um, I think that's the common denominator here with the with the team that we have is that we're all passionate about I think the passion and the drive to um, to try and make it the best that it possibly can be for each family is the thing that keeps this this team together mm. Have you had experience of palliative care yourself, either for, for loved ones of your own? Sort of indirectly, yes. Obviously, you can hear I'm English, so my father died a couple of years ago and he had um, he received his palliative care in a nursing home. Um, I wasn't present for a lot of it because of the distance. Um, but yes, that was pretty confronting, yeah. It's probably best I was a long way away, really, because I would have probably taken over. Um, and done it badly because I think it's hard to be that close to um, to somebody. Why, why was it confronting even at a distance? Oh, because I would have wanted to be in charge. And that's just who I am. My children, my adult children were there taking pictures of the Nicky and monitored his personal care. And that actually the nursing home did a beautiful job in caring for him. Yeah. Unfortunately, he died. I was, I was on my way. But... Um, but it was interesting being on the other side, organising funerals and um, dealing with other people's grief. Everybody in a family grieves in a different way and there was that was certainly very obvious in my family. There were people that were very uncomfortable with the whole thing. There were people who were more comfortable with doing things um, and I guess I, I possibly took the lead a bit because I wanted to get it right for him. Yeah, yeah it's interesting when, uh, when my mum died. We are a big family and... Um, you know, there was maybe three or four of the older members of the family who were just like, right, let's get wrapped up, you know, give it a couple of days, get all the practicalities out of the way, you know. And others really needed a couple of years mm. to, to get you know, if it. that, you know, mm. probably more, you know. Um, so everybody has their own pace, yeah. I guess, yeah. when it comes to that. I think we do things a bit slower generally, the other side of the world as well. Um for um, my father to be cremated, it was going to be three and a half weeks wait. Um, his burial, which he had in the end in our small village graveyard, which is 
beautiful. Um, it was two weeks from the day he died, mm -hmm. which is a long time in this country. Things tend to get done really fast here. Well, what's your sense of, um, as somebody who was uh, born elsewhere, what's your sense of um, how death is dealt with in Australian society generally, from your mm -hmm. experience? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously varies a little bit from family to family. And some people are very open when you, want, when you say to them, there's no rush for these things, you know, take your time, um, slow down, make sure that everybody's, you know, happy with the pace of things and when it is and when it's not. I mean, I guess death brings out the worst in, in people in families or can do, can't it? It can either bring people closer or it can um, cause a lot of conflict. So navigating all that, I think, is really um, tricky. Um, I do think that things happen too quickly here. For, uh, certainly for me, yeah. I, I don't. I don't personally think that when somebody's died, they need to be. The funeral needs to be over and done within three days. I, I find that really difficult, but that's just a personal thing. And and for other people, that might be what they want. sharing office so we were talking about you know where people's homes are and you know home can be whatever it is for that person like the man on the river um, in his little shack um, you know we sometimes visit people who are in caravan parks or you know um, or they are living in a caravan because they've they've chosen to go around Australia and they've got sick on the way and we've had a couple of people who've actually had their end of life care pretty much in their caravan or in a little unit on a caravan park. So, um, and obviously everybody's home is different, but every man's home is their castle, isn't it? So it's whatever they want it to be or where that is for them is is really important. Sometimes home isn't a possibility for whatever reason if somebody lives alone and they have absolutely no one to support them. So then we have to look at other options and that's where our um, palliative care ward um, is, is an option for people and some people absolutely love that. But it's not for everybody. For some people that's the worst possible scenario. Um, and so there's some of the conversations that it's really good to have before that time occurs so that we know what what the preference is, if at all possible. Um, and for some people, again, if they've been really heavily involved in the acute hospital um, and they know the team that's looking after them, it may, may feel not the right place for us, but for those people, it's, it's their second home. Mm. They know all the staff, they know the nurses, they feel comfortable, they feel safe. So for some people to go back into an acute hospital is the right thing, absolutely the right thing. You're talking about home and what that is to people, but sometimes they can't actually die at home. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, with your mom, the way home can come with somebody. So it's not necessarily a, a sterile hospital environment. So I guess what are some of those things that families have done, whether it's bringing in the Western Bulldog scarf or food or pets? What kind of things do people do to feel at home in a medical space? I mean, again, that's a very individual thing, isn't it? Um, but even their own um, pillows and doonas or blankets or cushions or photographs, it might be treasures, you know? Um, yeah, it's whatever it takes, isn't it, to make it feel comfortable. Um, we have had um, patients who've brought their own massive flat-screen TVs into the palliative care unit um, because that, to them, is home. That's what they do, especially when they've had to have 
a lot of time in bed. So it's whatever it takes. Yeah, dogs, cats, um, yeah, you name it. It's it's so individual. And it might just be even what they wear, you know, to retain their identity, you know, their own clothes, their own nighty, their own pyjamas. I think that's really important for dignity, that people, you know, are able to to do it their way wherever they are. And obviously at home they can, they very much can. I feel like the power is is changed when people are at home um, to be able to do that. We've, we meet some amazing people who are really receptive to um, to doing just that, you know, um, and we have had situations where people have remained at home when they've after they've died as well because that's been their wish. Some people don't want to be taken to a funeral directors and I think that's the other thing that people don't know, that that, that can be an option. And we, have had, we have had people who've requested to do that. I think the thing that drives me always is that if we can make a small difference and make something a little bit better out of a terrible situation, that's what drives me every day.